Welcome to season four of the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. This season, you will hear even more personal stories from families who have been where you are today. Some of the stories you will hear will provide you with important advice from medical professionals like case managers and high-risk OBGYNs. You will also hear advice about opportunities you can take to focus on self-care and more. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Today is a Good Day podcast wherever you enjoy your podcast or share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. Finding the right OBGYN and high-risk doctor can be a difficult process for families. When do you ask to speak with a high-risk doctor? What can they help you with during a pregnancy? Dr. Jack Fitzsimmons is here to answer these questions and more. Dr. Fitzsimmons grew up in Philadelphia, attending both LaSalle College High School and LaSalle University, followed by medical school at Hahnemann, Abington Hospital for his residency, and Jefferson Hospital for Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellowship. He worked at various university health systems, including University of Wisconsin, University of Washington, and Allegheny University of the Health Sciences, followed by time at the FDA and within the pharmaceutical industry before returning to clinical medicine in 2005 at Hahnemann. Dr. Fitzsimmons moved to Virtual Hospital in New Jersey for several years and now supports families at Temple Health and Holy Redeemer. First of all, thank you for all you do to support families and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So you have to tell us what inspired you to become an OBGYN and focus on high-risk pregnancies? Um, OBGYN goes back to probably my second or third year of medical school and just enjoying the the rotations uh, that I did in medical school. But I enjoyed everything. I, I liked the medicine part of it too. So um, the match came out and um, went with the OBGYN program. But I still retained my interest in uh, general medicine as well. So that took me to maternal fetal medicine, which at that point, and we're talking late 70s at this, at this stage, uh, was largely oriented to maternal complications. And so that was the the driving force for going to maternal fetal medicine. And when I I know when we went through our family's personal journey, we got pregnant. We found out we were expecting twins. We had gone to my OBGYN for years. I mean, I had been a patient of hers for a long time. And then we were referred to maternal fetal medicine to talk about the risks of identical twins and what that could look like. But I think it can be really confusing around the difference between your doctor that you go to, who you think you're going to be seeing your entire pregnancy, who you might still see, but then the difference between that and an, a high-risk OBGYN. Can you talk to us a little bit about those differences? Yeah, sure. And this is something that's changed a lot over the last 20 or 30 years in particular. Uh, it used to be that uh, maternal fetal medicine people uh, would carry a, a list of patients and, and care for them all through the pregnancy and, and delivery. Uh, now, um, there's probably about half and half uh, that will uh, see patients themselves exclusively uh, throughout the pregnancy versus those who work uh, only as consultants. Okay. So it's a mix and it depends a lot on, on where you are. Well, and when do you typically see a family for the first time? 
usually early uh, second trimester, sometimes first trimester, occasionally for pre-pregnancy planning, uh, but mostly in the second trimester, I guess. Are families mostly referred to you for high-risk factors, or would they seek you out to come see you? Mostly it's the former. Mostly they're referred uh, because of some concern that they've raised with their obstetricians. We do have a few that are um, uh, motivated for whatever reason to, to come see us uh, on their own, but most of them are referred. And do, I mean, you know, when we went through the pregnancy for the first time, we didn't know necessarily what questions to ask, but is it asking your provider, do you think we need to see a high risk? Here's my age. These are some family factors. I mean, are, are those questions that families should ask? Oh, you bet. The, um, anything that raises a concern with you is appropriate for discussion with your, with your care provider, whether it's an obstetrician or a nurse midwife uh, or a nurse practitioner for that matter. So the fact that it's a concern for you should make it a concern for your provider. Well, that is a great segue, Dr. Fitzsimmons, right into my next question, because I think people do ask, what questions should I be, be asking my, my doctor, right? What, where do I start? I'm pregnant for the first time. Maybe it's the second time after a, a miscarriage or a NICU stay. What do you ask? What do you tell families to ask? Probably the most common uh, issues that we see are related to age. Of course, age is uh, well known to be associated with the risk for Down syndrome, which isn't all that high, but um, it's what most people recognize as being age associated. Uh, so that's an appropriate discussion to have with your obstetrician and a referral may be made to a perinatologist or to a genetic counselor for um, such things as Down syndrome or um, uh, ab fetal abnormalities related to age. But age is also a factor with hypertension, with diabetes, with various medical complications. So uh, those are issues that would be appropriate for a perinatologist. Any underlying medical condition, uh, lupus, um, you know, th those types of things uh, would be an indication. Uh, previous problem pregnancies or previous uh, bad outcomes would be an issue. Previous prematurity is a is a big thing. Um, about eight or nine percent of pregnancies end in spontaneous preterm labor, and when it happens the first time, the chances of it happening again go up to about fifteen or twenty percent. And there are things that can be offered at that point to to intervene. So that that's a big thing. Um, previous uh, birth defects that's another problem. And of course, as you mentioned, multiples, twins or triplets, uh, also convey an increased risk for uh, a variety of problems. Well, and I think what's so important is it's not just the idea, because I think when you are pregnant, you think so much about your pregnancy, the baby, babies that you're having, but also your health. Mm -hmm. So in talking about the hypertension, high blood, all the different factors that can really affect mom when she's pregnant, making sure that you're asking those questions as well right. to the doctors. Yeah. And like I said, my, my interest with this actually started with an interest in maternal health. So those are those are primary things uh, for me. And when when I look back, when we were pregnant with our twins, I oftentimes think I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. I, I look and I can say that now nearly 12 years later, our surviving twin is, is doing great, just had her first week away at camp. And it, I do look back, though, and I think, gosh, I, we wrote down so many notes. My pregnancy be journal, we talked about the 15% of 
twin to twin transfusion and all the different percentages. But I think back that I wish that I had known more and had asked mm-hmm. more questions being a first time parent of multiples and even just first time parent expecting a baby. How serious should families take the multiples? I mean, what what advice do you give to families who are pregnant with multiples? Well, the first thing comes down to whether they're identical or uh, or non-identical. And that conveys different risks. Identical twins are susceptible to twin-twin transfusion, as, as you uh, mentioned, but they are also uh, at increased risk for uh, complications later in pregnancy. Uh, with either preterm delivery or intrauterine demise, um, with what we call die-die twins or you know, separate placentas and separate chorion, separate amnion. Um, the typical thing is that uh, delivery is on average at about 36 weeks. And people need to understand that the baby is not fully developed at 36 weeks. It's still a 36-week pregnancy, but that's the average time uh, for babies to deliver. Uh, with twins, you have um, probably 47% will come down both head first and vaginal delivery is appropriate then. Um, with the rest, uh, there can be one or both of them that are uh, breach or transverse lie. And there's data out there that would indicate that either vaginal delivery or C-section uh, could be appropriate. And it will depend a lot on a discussion with the provider as to how uh, best to manage the delivery with the with, uh, that type of a situation. That's something that should be decided earlier uh, so that everybody's ready for that at the time of labor or planned delivery. Do you follow families for an extended period after they deliver? If a family has a baby in the NICU or uh, even a full-term birth, um, do you follow them for an extended period as in your role? Typically not. Um, if we're asked to be involved, we're certainly willing to do that. But uh, typically they would go back to uh, either their primary care provider or their subspecialist. If it's diabetes, they go back to their endocrinologist or uh, internist for hypertension or nephrologist and cardiologist in some cases. Okay. So I have to ask you, you've done this for a really long time and you've helped a lot of families. I'm sure you don't even know the number of families you've helped along the way and supported. But what is the biggest piece of advice that you have for families navigating a high-risk pregnancy? Sit down and make a list before you see anybody. Um, When you walk into the office, half of what you were thinking about goes away. And having a list or something concrete in front of you, whether it's on paper like us old school people or or on your phone, doesn't really matter just so long as it's something that you can refer to uh, to keep the ideas from flying out the window. Um, And the other thing is that uh, you're going to hear a lot of information during, uh, during that encounter and about somewhere between half and two-thirds of it are going to go over your head. You won't think about that until you replay the conversation in your own head after you get home. So again, sit down, make notes, and um, you know, reflect on those when it's a quieter, more, uh, more peaceful time. Do you have questions that you've heard families ask frequently over the years as some of the first questions they ask, or do you have any thoughts for families? I know the the idea of writing things down, which we talk about frequently to all the families. I mean, our pregnancy journal became a NICU journal, so many of the families we work with, they kept journals as a way to ask questions during the NICU stay. I mean, I'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, oh, I have to ask the neonatologist this tomorrow morning. I jot it right down. Mm-hmm. But are there initial questions that families should be asking 
their doctor when they either come in for their first visit or, you know, down the road? It, it all depends so much on what the underlying issues are uh, because they're going to be different, whether it's multiples or hypertension or diabetes or, or you know, simply age or previous preterm delivery. You know, the, the questions are all going to be different. Probably the one that's um, the most common would be, well, this happened before. What are the chances that it's going to happen again? Those are, those are the, that's probably the biggest issue that we see. And do you see some trends just in different pregnancies with multiples or are there some diagnoses that could happen again more frequently? Pretty much anything that we see, the major risk factor for it happening is that it happened before. So that's true pretty much across the board. Okay. All right. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming to talk with us today and just learning more about what you do and your role. And I, I guess I had one more question for you. Mm-hmm. How? So when we look at care with your doctor that you work with most of the time, so my, my OBGYN that I would go visit regularly mm-hmm. for my annual checkups and then when I'm pregnant, all of that, how does that relationship work between their office and an office that you would work in? That's a really good question. And it depends a lot on the individuals that are involved because everybody's got a different style with, with the approach with this. Uh, typically, when we see a patient, uh, there's a, a printed report that's uh, generated that goes back electronically to wherever they came from. Um, if it's a particularly serious problem, we make a phone call. Um, if there's an inpatient, uh, typically they would call us to, to talk about what's going on with the patient and what they're what the physician's questions are about taking care of them. So it depends on the situation, but a combination of, of written records going back and forth and telephone calls were appropriate. All right. And it, would it make sense too for the family to, when they speak to their doctor that they visit all the time, to say, hey, just want to make sure you got all the reports, everything that you need from my visit? Oh, that's always, yeah, always yeah. a good thing. Yes. I, but I think people do take it for granted that the maybe the reports are just sent over or their doctor has it. So always good to follow up and check. Things get lost. And even with the electronic medical records, uh, they're not always accessible where you want them to be accessible. So it is a good idea to check. All right. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fitzsimmons. Really grateful to have you here today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Life Celebration by GiveNish.